Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Walt, and here we just try and bring you awesome stories, awesome tales, topics, and the hope is that it inspires you to get outside and go pursue your outdoor adventures, whatever they may be. Today I'm flying a little bit solo because Chase couldn't link up with me and today's guest, which was kind of a disappointment, but he will be back for the next episode. And since it's just me, I'm going to keep this short, sweet, to the point, and let you guys get to the episode because it's It's a long one, but it's a great one. First, we want to thank Tethered for sponsoring the podcast, www.tetherednation.com. If you are looking to get into the saddle game, there is no better company to do so. Greg and Ernie are some fantastic guys that just are looking to get as many people into saddle hunting as possible. And if you've been following the podcast to any duration, you know that Chase has already put down over 200 inches of antler this year out of his saddle and uh, several of those occasions he wouldn't have got an opportunity on the deer had he not been using a saddle so check them out and let them let them know that we sent you also we have to give a shout out to our patreon subscribers now if you don't know what patreon is patreon is a monthly contribution that is made to our show you can go to patreon.com forward slash chasing tails outdoors and we've got several tiers picked out for you we've got a two a five and a ten dollar tier and by subscribing to those, we get help supporting the show financially. That money goes into production costs. It goes into travel costs. Our hope is to start really growing our YouTube channel by buying camera gear and also to do more in-person interviews because they just have a much richer dynamic when we can sit face-to-face with our guests and talk to them. So if you're interested in supporting the show, patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors. And as our way of saying thank you, we're also doing quarterly giveaways. And this quarter, we're giving away two 
Havilon Peranta knives, and uh, two different people get a chance to win. And last quarter, we gave away a Predator platform that Derek Eckert won, and he has been using, and he's been a uh, new saddle hunter. So uh, if you guys are interested in supporting the show, would like to get a chance to win some free gear, and want early access to some of the content that we're putting out, we're going to start loading it up there to Patreon ahead of time. Some of the videos are going to drop ahead of time before they get access to YouTube. And you also get a chance to talk with other people who are fans of the show and interact with us directly in a private area. So give it a look. And uh, with that, we're going to get straight to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with a longtime friend of the podcast, somebody who has been following along and I've had the pleasure of talking to for, man, probably going on two years now. Tim Sizek is a hunter out of PA, a good dear friend of the show, and one hell of an outdoorsman, dude. Thank you for taking time out of your evening, and uh, thank you for rescheduling for like the third time to, to be on the show. <laughs> no problem, man. Thank you. I really appreciate being on here, and uh, you know, it's the greatest time of year right now. It's mid-October in Pennsylvania, and it's the rut's just starting to kick off with whitetail, so it's a good time. It is. It is. It is the best time. So I, I said something there. I kind of alluded to the fact that we had to reschedule. Uh, Tim and I sat down to talk about today's topic, which I'm going to keep quiet for right now. But we sat down and a gentleman decided that uh, instead of a podcast, he wanted to try and let himself in through my front door. And as a result, <laughs> I had to run out the door and uh, uh, renege on, on today's podcast. So we are back attempting part two, round two, I should say, <laughs> of, uh, of this podcast. But Tim, you, uh, you informed me that on the previous episode, I didn't do the best of job introducing you as a person and as an outdoorsman. So we're going to rectify that situation because <laughs> our old listeners know who you are now, but we've got, we've grown a lot since then. So why don't you kind of give everybody a refresher course of who you are and uh, where you hunt and where your passions lie? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Walter said, "My name's Tim Seasock." Uh, oh, Seasock! I've been saying it wrong, man. You could have, you could have right. said something. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. It's an ongoing debate in the family too how to pronounce it. So, all good. Um, Thirty-one years old, resided in northeastern Pennsylvania my entire life. Um, the only time I was away from that area was when I went to college. Uh, so after college, I got a job in the area, moved back towards home uh, a little bit towards the Poconos, and. Uh, Got into hunting when I was probably 12, when you could legally get into uh, the woods with a hunting license, PA. So uh, I typically just got introduced through the traditional heritage of the Pennsylvania hunters, which is rifle deer season. You know, you get to hunt like three days out of the year because I was in school and, you know, my my family wasn't huge into it. I had a couple family members that, that hunted, but it really sort of took off probably when I was like 15, 16. Um, my dad had a couple friends that, um, hunted more avidly, some different types of species other than just deer. And I was kind of invited along. That's when I first got my compound bow and got into that. And it was kind of a, kind of a passion or a way of life from there on out. So, um, I've been at it for close to 20 years now. And, uh, have been basically expanding every year. As soon as I got done with college, I really got into the Western hunting game and really started to, you know, after you get through the bills and everything else and set away some money and try and figure out how to do this Western hunting from an Eastern perspective, um, you know, it 
that really had me something to look forward to every single year. So my September is usually spent west, and then I have to look forward to bow season and all the other seasons back here in PA. Yeah, and I think uh, to to say it's an understatement to say that you have a passion for traveling west. I, you know, the the very first time that uh, I, I found your your content on Instagram, which is where I connected with you originally. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it was a Western backpacking style hunt. You know, we, we had you back on, I, I, I just looked it up. It was January 15th of 2018, which is just, <laughs> it feels like it was 10 years ago, but it was just around the yeah, corner realistically. Really uh, but you know, it, it's one of those things where you came on then and you talked about your, your bear hunt. Uh, what'd you call it? A Pennsylvania, like trifecta or something like that, where you got, uh, uh... <laughs> Yeah, that was the year I succeeded in the triple trophy. Is what triple they call it trophy? Trophy, yeah. So it's a whitetail, a tur- uh, spring turkey, and uh, and a black bear, all in the same same license year. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was that was a good time. But you know, it was always one of those things that we talked about afterwards. You know, let's let's get back on and and talk about your pursuit out west. And and I'm curious, when did you start making your trips out west? It was about a year after I got done with grad school. Um, probably I've been at it for about 10 years now. So have they I, always yeah. been like over the counter DIY? Yes, always. Why? Um, I have been, well, it was a matter of, um, I'd like to say the challenge right up front. You know, I, I, I personally will never get myself into a guided hunt or a hunt where you're working with somebody that knows the back woods better than anybody else and you know you're basically tagging along through them you know i prefer just to basically really live that diy term by doing it yourself so so it started there it also was a uh, a balance of the the finances um and then it was also you know basically the opportunities that were there that you can go to these other states walk from your truck onto the land with a license and go chase elk or go chase mule deer or whatever else you want. Um, and you didn't have to wait years and years. So that's where it started. And, um, as after the first year and I really, you know, really wanted to get into this style and then bringing that style back home and applying it to the hunts that I do back home. That's when I start putting in for the points for some other states. So while I'm hunting this, this do it yourself style, my plan is, you know, draw a couple nicer tags in the future years as I get older <laughs> and then, but still continue this whole DIY, you know, backcountry style hunt. You know, so you say the word never absolutes to me in life are, are, are dangerous. <laughs> Would you never go on a guided hunt? Like you win a, a, a once in a lifetime, like Ram hunt. But it's guided. Are you going to turn your nose up at that? Or are you going to take it for what it is and, and go with it? Um, well, you're right. That never word is true. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> if, it, if, it's, if it's a ram hunt or something along the lines or a hunt that's given to me, um, you know, I, I'd have to tell the guy, just back off a little bit. Let me, let me make my own decisions here. But uh, um, I'm not saying I would never do it, but I – I would probably never put my finances up on the line because a hunt, a hunt that can, you know, an elk hunt out West can cost you anywhere between six to $10,000. 
and that is six to ten years worth of trips for me you know so uh so that that's really where the big the the large part of that decision comes from but it's also you know being in the field being able to do it yourself make your own decisions um and really being able to beat or fail is really up to you you know and and that's kind of how i live my life from this point both in personal and as well as in the woods so so let's let's back up a little bit because I actually wanted to talk to you a little more about PA because it's been long enough that we've talked. I've I've, I've gotten some experiences with people. Now, you have no problem killing quality deer in PA. When I think about PA, I think about people complaining about the hunting, going elsewhere to hunt. What is it like hunting in PA? Is it as bad it's as a, everybody makes it out to be? It's a lot different than it used to be okay. when I first got into it. So if we're let's just strictly talk whitetail okay because that is pas that's what they're known for um back before there was an antler restriction in the state the the amount of hunters is ridiculous in pennsylvania i think it's in like the top two spots it's like six hundred thousand hunters a year they were t- the the core group of the pennsylvania hunters were shooting anywhere between 85 to 90% of yearling bucks before this antler restriction went in place. So how could your deer herd sustain 90% kill off of your yearling bucks? It can't. So Pennsylvania was given a bad rap years ago. Uh, that'd be like the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I don't remember what year exactly that went into effect, but I know it was in effect when I was 18. Cause I remember bow hunting and having to check for three points on one side. So we're talking now with probably 12, 13 years. And you're finally starting to see there was, there was never any such thing as a rut because there was never any competition. There was never the, the age class of bucks out there that would, you know, condone or basically have a rut, you know, for a reason for there to be a rut. So, <clears throat> Now, the last few years, I mean, Pennsylvania has been basically the the poster child for antler restrictions throughout the rest of the country. I mean, it is a great example of what they're able to do. And now you're starting to see three, four, five and older deer. And it's not so much. I mean, where I live in northeastern PA, they I don't I don't hunt fields. I don't hunt farms i don't you know like like the nutrition short source is based off of nature and you know they're not eating soybeans and corn and getting these huge racks but even with the acorn now with the with the 10 12 years later you're starting to get a better quality deer and you're starting to see better quality antlers so i i think pennsylvania in the next few years i mean the amount of deer that or the the quality of deer that's coming out of the state now is actually kind of jaw dropping compared to years ago. But I, I still think that they've made some good decisions. Um, they are starting to expand some seasons. There's talk about Sunday hunting. And I listen to people talk about this whole pro for Sunday hunting and everything else. And my work as a construction manager and for the firm work for, you know, I could probably hunt a little more than most people 
so I could see their argument on wanting to hunt one day. But the only question I never hear answered is whether or not our harvest rates sustain Sunday hunting. And and that's where I'm kind of on the fence about it because now you're talking that majority of the 600,000 people are going to be in the woods on a, on a Sunday. And now you're adding two to three weekends in rifle season plus six weeks in archery season. So that's a substantial amount of additional harvest that's going to take place, whether you want it to or not. It's just inevitable. Saturdays have to be outside of the first day of rifle season on a Monday. Saturdays have to be that day where the majority of the harvest is taken because of the majority of hunters that are in the woods. So if we make Sunday hunting legal, can PA sustain a, a, a good population and the quality of deer that they're now producing work so hard to do? So That's when you find the conversation, you can let me know. Yeah, because I've got friends, you know, the Whitetail Distraction pod, Podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but mm-hmm. they are, um, well, I, I'm going to try not to speak for them too much here, but I know that they have complained at least in the past about the lack of Sunday hunting. Um, you know, I've never heard that take on it before, you know, and they do, they send me videos of some pretty decent bucks on a routine basis, you know, like they've changed the dynamic for me alongside with you of what PA can kind of produce. And I had a dude yesterday, uh, Grant Lemon, he drove through a part of PA to hunt somewhere else and was raving about how good PA looked and, you know, the, the, the quality of deer that get pulled out of that area. But I've never heard anybody make that argument before where, you know, if you increase the exposure, how does that impact your herd? How many bucks do you get in PA? You you only get one. Interesting. Um, and that's whether it's archery or rifle. You get one buck tag for the year. Um, there was talk years ago about doing like a lottery second buck tag. It never came to fruition. But um, I'm not – yeah, I, I just haven't really seen any information out of anybody that shows, you know, population estimates and how – how Sunday hunting would affect that. Sure. You know, that that's a good thought and, though. I mean, that, I mean, it's a fair use, a fair use argument, right? Like realistically, what, what demands can we put on a, on a, um, environment or an ecosystem before we start to take away more than it's, it's capable of, which would put you right back where you were with the antler restrictions. Exactly. And then rather than seeing good quality deer, you're just going to be seeing less deer. Do you think the answer is you know, more like, extreme antler restrictions if they open up Sundays? No, I mean, I, th- I think the quality and the uh, the typical life age of, of a buck now is because you, you are we spoke earlier, like right now I'm chasing a five and a half year old deer for the past few years. So you know, will Sunday hunting affect the, a deer getting to that age class? I don't think so. But will it affect the amount of bucks that are out there between the age of three and a half and five and a half? most likely because you're giving out more opportunity and in a has so many hunters, I think adding basically, a, you know, a second between Saturday. archery and yeah. rifle. Yeah. You're adding in about nine days that you're going to have the majority of that population hunting whitetail. Um, so I, I think it really comes down to rifle. I mean, you come up here for rifle, it's a pumpkin patch and it's a war zone <laughs> certain years. <laughs> Now they did they did remove doe out of the first week of rifle season, which has made a substantial impact. A lot of people don't 
it, you know, if most of the meat hunters, they'll wait until that second week to come up or go to their cabins or what, you know, go to their hunting camps and that sort of thing. They'll come up on the second week this way they can shoot buck or doe. But, um, you know, but you add those couple days in rifle season that, you know, now you're hunting on Sundays. It's, I just, I, I personally don't see the population being able to sustain a good quality hunt like it does now. Interesting. Interesting. Well, come gun season, are you out there with the pumpkin patches or do you go to a different state? I know you travel a lot. <laughs> um, I do travel a lot. Usually, I, if my if I'm lucky enough to punch my tag in archery, I will. Uh, I'll usually take take somebody new um, that's trying to get into hunting or take a child hunting in rifle season, um, and just you know experience that side. Um, this way I'm still out in the woods and, you know, still enjoying it. And then also, you know, bringing up next generation into it. <laughs> you know, I, I said that to you and then I realized immediately uh, how silly that was because almost every year you're punched out across all boards in October. So, you know, <laughs> gun season really isn't a concern for you, is it? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I think the year we talked about my bear, that was the year I couldn't even legally hunt the first week because yeah. it was only bear, bear and deer, bear and buck, and I had them both punched. So yeah, I legally there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so today we're going to be broaching a topic that we talked about doing. We're going to get back to the Western stuff, and this is something I can now contribute um, kind of <laughs> to the conversation of, and that is traveling out West to hunt elk and before we get too much into the story that i cannot wait to unpack i kind of want to have a little bit of a dialogue with you on going from the east coast out west and and what that impact has been for you what do you think has been the hardest thing for you as an east coast dude uh trying to go west what was the the most difficult component of that of that trip not necessarily this specific specific trip but like in general in general, I th- the more I, I I venture for on this solo thing, the more logistics come into play. Um, trying to keep costs down, but then also trying to be the most efficient with travel back and forth. What makes the most sense? So I weigh a lot of options between is it is it best for me to um, drive one way, you know, basically fly out, drive back. Is it cheaper for me to fly out fly back or is it cheaper for me to drive the whole thing um and when you're hunting with a group um you know obviously those expenses get lowered on the option to just drive the whole thing and you have multiple people to to basically participate in the drive part of it and everything else um so going from going towards the solo end of it i find that the logistics part of it is probably the the biggest issue Cause I try and keep my hunts extremely cheap. Um, if I can't, if I can't go out West and come back for like less than, you know, right around $1,500, then, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out how I can get it down to that. Um, so on the hunting side of it, um, from hunting on the East side, mostly whitetail and Turkey and that sort of thing going to the West where now you're chasing species that you've never been before. Um, you're hunting in places that you've never stepped foot on. Um, the hardest, the, the biggest learning curve to me 
was um, pretty much trying to get everything that I wanted out of that area before I even got there. And that really became the e-scouting part of it, learning how to really dig into aerials, learning how to dig into uh, the state's available information. Um, so I will log um, hundreds of hours throughout the year, start planning a trip in January, then I leave in September. So those like eight to nine months, I will just every, you know, most of my free moments or my lunch breaks at work or that sort of thing are spent just looking at aerial photography or trying to figure out where my odds best are in the unit. So sure. when it comes down to the hunting part, um, you know, I go in with a positive attitude. I go in in a manner where, um, you know, I just have the positivity that I will, per, I will personally put myself in a unit that has less game. If I know it means that there's going to be less hunters. Like I, I, I put my enough faith in myself where I know like if there's one bull or one mule deer in that unit, if I give myself eight days, I know I can give myself one opportunity at that and just kind of go in with that mindset and not worry about, Oh, I'm not seeing any elk or I'm not seeing mule deer. It's just a matter of time before you basically get there and just work with the sign in front of you until, you know, you get your opportunity. So that's really what has worked for me in the past. Okay. So I'm going to be Frank. I think the vastness of the West was unbelievably difficult for me to wrap my head around. Like, the, like the idea. So, like, we drove for an hour and a half through public land at seventy something miles an hour, like mm-hmm. on a highway. And I was like, "So, when are we going to get there?" And he's like, "Dude, we're here. Like, like <laughs> we we've been here for forty five minutes. We're actually coming out on the other side, and we're going to circle around to a different spot." It's like you got to be kidding me, you know? Like. It was. I remember. Yep. Go ahead. My 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 (laughs) first experience going in. My first experience was an archery elk hunt in Colorado, Um, and I went with a buddy of mine from that I met in college, and from the main from the paved road till we got to basically the trailhead, it was like twenty two miles on a dirt road for fifteen miles and at fifteen miles an hour. You know how long it takes you to go 15 <laughs> miles an hour for 22 miles? It takes a long, like, like a real, real long time, like an hour and a half on a dirt road at a snail's pace. Yeah. And it, it was incredible that, like, you just look around and you're like, I can hunt anywhere I want. Yeah. And it, it it's almost overwhelming, and I think a lot of people that choose not to do it um, – just get overwhelmed by the fact that, I mean, there are millions of acres of land in these States. How do you know where to go? How do you pick a spot? And when you pick a spot, how do you know that, you know, there's going to be the game there that you're after. So I think a lot of it's overwhelming to a lot of people. And I fortunately had my buddy that was like, you know, we're allowed to do this. We can just drive to that state, buy a tag and just go hunt somewhere. And, nobody could tell you otherwise and that's kind of like how it started i mean i i there's a picture in my archives of me with a pack on my back and the thing was like four feet out from my back weighed like 70 pounds because i really had no idea what i'm doing and 
fast forward to this past September and I'm going in the backcountry for eight days with like 40 pounds of gear. And it, it and it, so that learning curve can be really short if you put the time and the effort into it. But, you know, you got to get over the overwhelming factor with the Eastern perspective in mind, because it is not going to be like anything. It's, it's not going to be pulling into your family farm, walking your hundred yards and going up in your ladder stand and waiting for a buck to walk by. It's just, that's, that's not the kind of hunt that, that it is. And um, I think you have to go in there knowing that this is probably going to make me feel uncomfortable. And I, yeah. I think I've said, said this plenty of times before, but I, you basically have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. Absolutely. You have to embrace the suck. Like I've heard that said my entire life, but that was such a real thing. I think, you know, for me, the the vastness of it wasn't overwhelming. It was like all inspiring. It was it was truly in the true sense of the word. It was awesome. It was full of all, you know, like everywhere I went, it was a liberating thing because there wasn't ever this concern. Like it was in the back of your mind. Like you had, you know, eventually the public land runs out. Right. But you, you were like, well, I think it, I think they're on that ridge right there. Like, let's go check out that ridge, and then we'll jump down to this saddle and, and pop up the other side. There was never a concern for, like, I wonder if that's public land. Like, it's just you knew right. you couldn't get far enough away. Whereas here, dude, I hunt 15, 2,000-acre parcels. The whole name of the game is, like, well, <laughs> how can I get on a deer on this tiny little piece of property? And there's such boundaries to it, you know? Yeah. It, 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 was, it was a very liberating thing. I, I was talking to my buddy jay and and he was like dude there's several types of hunters and you're a wanderer you 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 don't like being confined by the property boundaries of of, of a small chunk of, of, of private and he's right once i went out west i realized just how much i like to be like you know what that's a north facing slope over there we haven't checked out we haven't seen elk this entire time let's just let's just bomb over that ridge and go see if we can't blow something out you know like and you can do that out west yeah with no restrictions really you buy your tag you're good to go and I remember talking to you right after. I remember checking in with you after you got back from your hunt, and you were just like, "Dude, I loved it." Oh my and god! Like it didn't. It didn't even matter if there was anything on the ground or if there was anything on your glass or anything like that. You just you fell in love with just that style and just the country and just the remoteness is really what I love about it. You find yourself out there, dude. You find you know we're burning fifty nine hundred calories. There's no cell service whatsoever, and you're just there to to just experience. And dude, there are places you're like, I can literally look around right now and see no human sign. I know I'm not the first person here, but there's no Coke cans, there's no bush lattes like you know crumpled <laughs> up and shot over in the corner. Like the the there was this one meadow. It's this big, massive meadow. And and the only sign that someone had ever been there before was this cow head. It wasn't an elk head. It was a legit legitimate somebody had run been running their cattle through this area. And it was old as can be. The skull was like buried, like falling apart. And you could be like, Okay, well, obviously someone else has been here before because there's there's a you know, a head of cattle that died here, you know, like but that was it, man. And it was quiet and deafening and just Oh, it, we didn't see a sing. We didn't see or hear a single elk. My uncle thinks he heard one bugle uh, one of the last days. I, dude, I would sign up and do those ten days all over again every year for like eight years before I'd even start to wonder. Like, 
if it was worth it. I think it goes back a lot to like our species and our humanity that at some point along the line, it's just, it's just like, it's just like hunters. Like we have canine teeth for a reason. And I think if, I think, you know, humans evolve just like everything else does evolve. And if you keep that, that, and that, that trait in throughout your family and, and everything else, you know, obviously you're going to create more hunters and that sort of thing. But I think also that, that desire for, you know, to be a man is to be out there in the wilderness on your own kind of thing, doing basically trying to harvest your groceries for, you know, for lack of better ter- terms, but just like through human revolution, like we were like meant to, to do that. And when you experience that, it's kind of like, yeah, like this is what, this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I just want to be out here. And yeah. I think it goes way back to, you know, the, the start of time that, you know, this is how people developed and this is how community started and, and uh, we became a country. And I think it all kind of follows through your traits as that goes along. And it, it, it really is like all inspiring <laughs> when you get out there and you just look around and you don't hear anything, you don't see anybody. And, you know, it, it's, it's a huge disconnect from the day to day life. And I think that's what I love about it. Like I enjoy, I enjoy my job, but I work because, I, you know, I want a life. And I think that break, that disconnect, you know, the no cell service, the no, no communication with people. Um, I, th- I think is just, you learn a lot about yourself and that's really what happened on this trip is like, I, you know, days by myself with very little communication outside of when I was on the road but you really do learn a lot about you personally um you have chances to reflect on everything in your life and everything else when you're put in a position that you know I was there to to do a job I was there to hunt and enjoy the experience and everything else but all that downtime when you're not hunting you know, you're focused on everything else that's going on in your life and being able to reflect on that. And I, it's actually like, <laughs> it almost feels like a weight off your back after you get back, whether, whether you're su- successful or not. Like when you come back, you're like rejuvenated. I was like more attentive. I, I like, I don't know, you know? Oh, oh yeah. No, I'm with you. And, and I, I'll be honest with you. How, how easy is it to, to deer hunt now? Like, and I don't mean like easy as in it's easy for success, but like those days, I'm sorry, I'm going to hurt a lot of people's feelings here. It, the, the amount of suffering and I can, it, you take every physical accomplishment I've ever made in my entire life, whether it's sprinting to the fridge on, on commercial breaks during a big game <laughs> to get a beer, you know, pl- all the years playing soccer and rugby, take all of those together and they equal five minutes of what I did in my opinion in Colorado at 10,000 feet of elevation where, you know, your heart is just racing. You can't get enough oxygen in your lungs. You're getting dizzy, but you got to get another mile. And that mile feels like six miles. And when you get there, that's really only a little mental, mental, like, like milestone because you still got four more miles to get to, cause you got to get away from everybody else. You know, like, dude, I was ready to almost throw in the towel the first 500 yards. They were steep. I was almost on my hands and knees trying to get up off this, this road and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done, dude? 
<laughs> I can sit in Florida heat now and be like, okay, well, all I have to do is sit still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Physically, I have this this trip alone. I have never physically been in more pain than I have in my entire life through playing hockey and every other sport under the sun or every hunting adventure I ever went on. I remember a couple of years ago packing out my mule deer and just questioning myself on a downslope, like being in pain, having like 90 pounds on my back going, why do I enjoy doing this? And I never really understood it. <laughs> and then you get back to the car and you're like, all right, I'm good. Like I did it. I succeeded. I'm not doing this ever again. And then like, you're on your way home and you're like, what do I do next year? <laughs> and it is, and I, I, to this day, I can't explain it. Like I wish I didn't enjoy to hunt because it is so, pain physically it demanding it is but there's something in me and there's something in a lot of other people that do this that just you you're just driven you're just driven to do this and you when you sit down with your family at a meal and you pull out the elk steak and you sit there and you share it with everyone like it's like okay i get it this is this is why i do it so like, i'm not i'm not exaggerating when i said what i just said no. Okay. Like all right. Now when I get out of my truck and I walk the you know quarter mile up to it, carrying a tree stand on my back and climb the tree, and it's like, oh, all right, I'm done. And I can just sit here, take a little nap. Yeah. Yeah. But out there, it's kind of like you you make your own game. I mean, you create your own hunt. If you don't want to run up that, like you said, you don't want to run up that hill for a mile and check that north slope. That's your decision, but you could be missing out on an opportunity. So when you're out there, you really make your own opportunity um, more so than you do with the whitetail woods where you are, you're creating that opportunity before you get there, you know, where you're trying to figure out where's that deer going to be or where are, where's a good buck going to be and you're creating that, that little bit just to get yourself in there. And then it's really left up to luck. And what I liked about the West was you you basically create your own opportunities by how hard you're going to push yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that to, 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 to shit on deer hunters. I'm obviously not saying that because I've got exactly five days until my deer season kicks off and <laughs> I am chomping at the bit to go. I'm just saying it's a different it's, experience. It's different. It's exactly. different. That's it. That's all there is to it. And if you want to experience some, something different, if you want to always question <laughs> how you spend your money, cause I've got a finite budget and right now, if it doesn't fit into a elk budget going out west, like if it doesn't serve that purpose first, it just it just is not getting bought, dude. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm buying sleeping bags and hammocks and all kinds of stuff, but mm-hmm. and, and I can use all that for deer hunting too. That's the cool thing. There's a lot of crossover between some of this stuff, but you know, it's just something else. So I think I think we've teased that idea enough. Let's kind of set the stage for where you went. Why did you pick the state you went to, and what state did you go to for this hunt? So this was central Idaho in an over-the-counter unit, uh, very low success rates on elk. Um, the success rate a little bit better on mule deer, uh, but uh, very remote. Um, it's actually one of the only places you can hunt uh, the elk in the rut with a rifle um, in Idaho and in much of the country in mid-September. So 
there's only, I think, maybe six or seven units that you can carry a rifle in mid-September for an elk hunt or mule deer. Um, so I started this two years ago. I came away from Colorado. I had a couple of years in Colorado where I had an archery elk tag. And I, uh, I was drawn back five times in like the two years that I went. Never released an arrow. And I was like all right, I'm done busting my butt and not punching a tag here. Cause like I, it, you know, I didn't release the arrow cause either I got the wind shifted on me, the bull wasn't legal or I didn't have a clear shot. It was just frustrating. So my buddy wanted to continue going to Colorado and trying to get it done there. And that next year I was like, I want to do something different. I want to see some new country. I want to chase something different. And that's when I started doing research and realized that I could be in Idaho in mid September with a rifle on my back in some of the most rugged remote terrain <laughs> that the 48 has to offer, which is why they have it listed as a rifle season. And, um, the first year I put a mule deer and an elk tag in my pocket and I just went, I went with a, with a friend of mine who wanted to try it out. And, uh, my plans went from A to F really fast because there was a lot of wildfires in around that year. Um, so I actually had to exchange tags at, at the uh, DNR office and everything else because the whole unit was shut down that I was planning to go to. So so any advice would be, if I could offer up any advice, is if you're going to take a trip across the country, you need to have a playbook longer than an NFL coach because – if if something happens either when you're en route or even a week before and you didn't do any aerial scouting or anything like that, you're going to be in trouble. So, like I said, this was like plan F the first year I went out to Idaho. I ended up taking an awesome mule deer uh, the second day. Yep, I remember that. It was a beautiful and then, Yeah, and then we, we got booted out um, shortly afterwards with some snow. Um, so I really only hunted, I think four days. Um, so I only hunted one day after packing that, that deer out the next year, last year, I went back to the same area. Um, and I only bought a mule deer tag and I was just chasing mule deer and I punched a tag on the fifth day, I think on a, another, a nice animal, but, um, nothing like the mule deer the year before. And then this year, um, I told myself that, you know, I just, I'm just going to go do it on my own. Um, I, the guy that I went with the the previous year was a different guy than I went with the two years ago. Um, he's buying a house and getting married and doing all that stuff. So he wasn't financially, (laughs) he wasn't financially (laughs) stable, able like to go. So I didn't put myself out there and try and find anybody else. It was something that I just wanted to do on my own and, I started planning for it um, in January. So one of the reasons I went back to this area was because I knew it before. Um, And I figured if I'm going to do a Western hunt on my own, I'd rather go somewhere that I've been to rather than stepping foot in someplace new that I'm not really too familiar with. Um, So I planned to leave on a Wednesday. The first day was a Saturday. And after going through all my finances i had the time 
from work to be able to do it. But from the financial standpoint, the cheapest thing to do was to drive it. And going from northeastern Pennsylvania to central Idaho was about 41 hours from my back door to the to the trail <laughs> oh my god so um i took off on a on a wednesday and i purchased a rooftop tent uh just this past winter um so my plan again to lower cost per having hotel rooms i was by myself so it didn't matter how much i was showering kind of thing <laughs> um but the, pl- the plan was to Basically drive um, in day, daylight only because, again, if you're taking a trip like this, the last thing you need is to hit a deer or have something happen. So my plan was to just drive during the daylight hours if I could. The first day, I, I, I couldn't because I was still working. Um, so I ended up making it to Wisconsin Wednesday night. Um, and basically what I was doing was using my Onyx. And when I was getting tired or if I had a stopping point, I just pull up Onyx and I try and find a little piece of public land um, that allowed camping. And uh, I usually do my searching while I was sitting at the gas station filling up and then just pull in, pitch the tent. And then basically I was just making sandwiches on the go, like in the passenger seat. So I could just keep going and keep going. There was no stopping for sit down meals or anything like that so it was if you don't like being uncomfortable it's not a thing you want to do and i'm just dude um, i had no idea like this for the listeners i'm i'm hearing this for the first time that is brutal dude is it was it when you say a rooftop tent you mean like a teepee i i mean like uh yeah it's a tapui yeah tapui tapui uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so basically it just folds out yep. from the top top of your roof rack you get a ladder you climb up there's a mattress in it you throw some sheets and a and a comforter and a pillow in there, and it's actually I sleep great. <laughs> uh, it's awesome, and it, it sets up and takes down in like five minutes. You can't beat it. And oh I'm back on the man, road. I'm eyeballing one so, of those, dude. So the first night, it's it's pouring. I mean, absolutely just torrential downpours. The whole like Midwest was just getting. I think like South Dakota was like underwater half the state. So. That night, I ended up sleeping in my truck in the back seat because uh, I just didn't want to have to open up the tent in the rain because you can't close them back up. And then, you know, they got to dry out. You'll end up getting mold. And so that's the only downfall of them. Um, So I did end up just having kind of a rough night. Woke up the next morning, hit the road, you know, basically just start driving from the minute the sun comes up, brushing your teeth behind the wheel kind of thing eating snacks the whole way, stopping for gas. Um, and then so that would be Thursday throughout the day. I get into just just uh, east of Billings, Montana. So I, I pull in right before dark. The sun's going down. I pull into a, a fishing access point. Um, it was only, I don't know, maybe five acres, but it was right along the Yellowstone River. So it was just, it was just gorgeous. It, it made my whole trip like that whole night. I sat on my tailgate, had a beer, um, made a sandwich and watched the sunset along the Yellowstone. Like that right there. I, I, when I, when I went to bed that night, I was just like, you know what? This was just great. I can, I can probably drive home and be okay with it right now <laughs> because like that, that whole area that I like pulled into, like 
it's so many people drive by the interstate that's like a mile from there and like don't realize like what is like right there and it it was just awesome so i i woke up thursday morning basically took a bath in the yellowstone and uh hit the road again <laughs> i love how casually so this... you just said that oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah so this is this is friday now so i i jump back on the road and now um and i had some dew all over the tent um so this is where i kind of had my plan screwed up a little bit so i guess sleeping next to the yellowstone with all the dew and with with the weather the way it was i woke up my tent was all soaked on the outside so i knew my plan was to get to the trailhead uh friday by like 3 p.m that would allow me about three hours to get back into a couple drainages that i wanted to be in so my plan was just to start hiking friday night so i got down the road a little bit and well a lot of it like six hours and I stopped at um, a Walmart to pick up a couple more supplies um, for both my hunt and just for myself. And I just opened up the tent in the parking lot to let it dry out in the sun, um, knowing that my tent might be shut for 10 days uh, dry out. So that kind of set me back like a good solid like hour and a half until it dried out where I could put it back up. And then as we spoke before, the once you get on like the backcountry roads, like when you're going into the trailheads and stuff, it just takes forever. So I pulled into my trailhead at like, you know, it was like a half hour before dark. Um, my pack and my clothes and everything else weren't really ready to go. Um, and one of the best things that happened when I pulled in the trailhead is there was only one truck there. No. So, so I really didn't feel like I needed to be up in the woods that night. It was either I get my stuff together I hike a couple miles and then pitch camp in, in the dark or I just sleep at the tent um, at the truck. So I just slept in the rooftop tent that night. So this is Friday night. So now the first day is Saturday morning for the season. So I have all my stuff ready to go. Um, slept that night, slept great. Uh, got up at 3, 3 a.m. And my plan was to just kind of get my stuff together and start hiking. Um, so my, my plan for the hunt was a bivy style hunt. Um, I did have an elk tag and I did have a mule deer tag. So by bivy hunting, what I mean is I'm going to hunt all day and wherever I stop for the day, I'm just going to find a nice place to pitch tent and then wake up the next morning, pack it up and start hunting again. So it was going to allow me to get in a country I've never been in. Sure. Um, and it was also going to allow me to be a little, oh, actually a lot more mobile and be able to just change with the, with the sign and, and everything else. So, so my goal was to get in there and hopefully take a mule deer within the first day or two, and then basically get that mule deer out and get everything on ice and possibly change locations. If I didn't have, if I wasn't in the elk sign and hunt elk the rest of the trip. So Saturday morning, hiking in, um, sun comes up, I'm in a drainage that I've hunted before. And when I, what I mean by drainage is like, there's, I'm, I'm hunting about 7,500 feet. Um, peaks are like 8,000. I, I was hunting down around, you know, 6,800 to like 7,500. So 
there's a huge drainage and then what feeds that huge drainage where a lot of basically a canyon where I know a lot of people hunt from being there in the past. Um, I usually stay up on top and up on top. It basically is made up of these little drainages where they might only be a couple hundred feet of elevation change, but it allows you to move across these ridges and get into these small drainages and glass the entire drainage. Now I'm hunting a hundred percent like forested, uh, terrain, but it had a burn seven years ago. So the burn is pretty much at its, at the end of its like potential for, you know, good feed and everything else for new growth. So it is pretty open because it's basically a hundred percent burned. So you have a lot of deadfall and that sort of thing, but you can actually sit there and glass through the whole, like what I'm calling these little drainages before actually skylining yourself or stepping into them. So my plan was just to work across these ridges, get to the edge of these small drainages and just glass. Um, and then if you don't see anything or if nothing's moving up through them, you basically bounce to the next one. So at this time I have like mule deer on my mind. I'm just planning to, go in, try and find a nice buck and shoot a nice buck, uh, looking for anything like over 140 inches. Um, so the first drainage, I see a couple doe working through and not too much else, but I'm like, okay, cause mule deer are, I, I mean, they travel a long way over the winter months. So you're not really sure. I know like in the past, like I've been in good mule deer, in that area, but you're never sure whether or not they're going to come back to that area, um, whether the vegetation's going to be there the way it should be and that sort of thing. So once I started to see the doe, I'm like, okay, great. This is going to be a good mule deer hunt. So I bounce into the next drainage and the next drainage and going throughout the day, I saw a couple buck, a couple doe. And the whole time I'm hunting, I can hear this bugle, like probably about three miles away, very faint. And there's a trailhead kind of out that way, but it, it's pretty deep. It's probably like if this bull is, if this bugle is a bull and it's three miles from me, that trailhead's probably like eight miles from me. Ooh. So my thought is, is okay. That's gotta be hunters. And I'm just like, I'm in mule deer. So I, I just kept hunting the mule deer and just kept doing my thing throughout the entire day. And this, this bugle happened three or four times. And you could tell it was moving. But lo and behold, I'm coming down to the first day. I get into this huge drainage. And sun's going down. Um, I back up and I pitch my tent because I had like an hour left. And I drop back in this drainage. And I, right before dark, I could see a couple mule deer leaving this drainage. And one one's nice. One is definitely a shooter buck. And I have them in the scope and everything else. And I just can't, I didn't have the heart to pull the trigger because I wasn't a hundred percent sure that like, I wasn't sure of my target. I wasn't sure of the buck, how big it was. I could see the frame. I didn't know. So I, I let it go. And my plan for that night was just to um, camp and then drop back in this drainage the first thing in the morning. So lo and behold, I'm looking, I get 
I'm sitting in my tent and I'm kind of looking at, uh, and I'm not, now I'm in the elk sign too. Like as I was going through that evening, I'm kind of coming into elk sign. I'm getting towards the edge of the burn where it's a little bit more green. It's not all dead. Um, it's getting a little bit tougher to see, but now I'm getting into the elk sign. And with it being so warm, uh, that whole, cause like when I'm, when I'm leaving to go out there for like that whole month, I watch the weather out there. So I know what has been going on in the last month that I, so I can adjust and know what these animals are going to do. Has it been really cold? Are they going to be down low? Has it been really high? Are they going to be up high? Is there a lot of water? Is there no water? So it was actually in, in that part of Idaho, it was extremely hot all throughout basically the beginning of September and all of August and everything else. So my thought was that everything was going to be up high and I was actually hunting higher than I have in the past. And now I'm like a hundred percent in the new country that I've never seen before. So when I'm laying in my tent, I'm referring back to my phone here and I'm trying to figure out, was that bugle an elk or was that bugle a guy? And where exactly was it? And I realized I was only probably a quarter mile from that ridge where that, where that elk was bugling. So I have dinner, sleep in my tent and, uh, go to bed, slept actually pretty good up until about four o'clock when I was awakened by a bugle, like probably 500 yards from my tent. So now it's two and a half hours before sunrise. And now there's a, there's a, a bull bugling just down over the ridge. So needless to say, I didn't sleep at all from that point. I imagine not. No. Uh, <laughs> so can, can I pause you? Uh, can I pause real, real quick and ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. What would it have taken size elk wise? Like what would, what, what would it have taken for you to pull the trigger? If you get down there and he's a, a raghorn, would you have killed him? Um, <laughs> spoiler, that, spoiler, if, it's if, not a raghorn. <laughs> if you, if you asked me that day, I probably would have told you I'm shooting anything that has a horn on it. Okay. Um, if you ask me today, <laughs> looking back on everything, I would probably tell you, no, I am not pulling the trigger. Okay. Um, and I'll, you know, we'll get into that oh, part yeah. of it because the hunt is only half of it. Sure. Sure. So, so I wake up the next morning and my plan was to just leave my tent there and I was going to drop back into this drainage where I finished my day before. So I kind of, I kind of get into this vantage point. I'm behind this nice set of rocks um, that I can glass the entire drainage. And as soon as I get in there, I could see some cow elk down in front of me. And I'm like, holy crap, there's some elk. Because the last two years that I've hunted it, um, I haven't seen. I, I, I've been in sign before. I haven't been in fresh sign like I was Yes, like the day before, but I was kind of like, okay, this is where I want to be. Like there's elk here. Um, so my first instinct that it's, it's bull only out there, um, for this season. So I'm watching the cows. I'm just trying to pick up on what they're doing, um, which they were kind of just grazing along the bottom of the strangers down by the Creek because, you know, it's more green down there. There's a lot of vegetation. And on the far side, I could see a couple mule deer. So I was trying to see what was on their heads and they were just a couple doe. So as I'm sitting there watching this all go on, a, 
a bull bugles behind me probably about 400 yards and that bugle sounded like he was like in my bedroom because it was just it was loud it was screaming he was on top of the ridge so it just carried and echoed and you just knew at that point like that is not a guy like you can you when when they're that close like you could tell whether or not that's someone spouting through a tube or whether that's a bull elk so the if i'm looking straight ahead at 12 o'clock these cows are feeding at about 10 o'clock and this bugle this bull is bugling at like four o'clock so it's almost perfect like i am sitting right in, right in between them but my wind wasn't that good but it was kind of like i have no other choice because i really don't have um i didn't really know what was around the ridge enough to know that i can get there and be able to see where that bugle is coming from so i just elected to stay put and saw how this was going to play out <clears throat> so I waited a couple minutes and nothing happened. Um, the cows were still just kind of doing their thing. And I grabbed my own tube and I just chuckled. I didn't bugle. I just chuckled. Just to say like, hey, there's a bull here. And I got your cows closer to me than you are. And I no sooner like put my stuff all back in my pack after chuckling. And I can just hear the woods just erupting just like thunder because these animals are huge and that elk covered that three to four hundred yards in probably 30 seconds and he came like he wasn't he was screaming as he was basically running in um and at that point i was kind of sitting on the edge of the ridge and he was coming onto like the same elevation i was from the from the top but the way that the the terrain was is I couldn't see him. So the first thing I saw was just the tips of his antlers as he was coming basically around the, around the point. And I was like, there's a bull. And he came around and I could just feel the wind at my back on the back of my neck. And I knew like, this is going to happen. I need to shoot quick because he's going to win me. And I really only saw his rack and like his bottom like brisket area and up to his up to the top of his rack and that was it i never saw his whole body and he came around and he kind of looked my direction a little bit and knew he didn't like it and he kind of beelined almost straight away from me and at that point i had one decision to make and that was to pick a spot and be ready so he wasn't full speed, but he, but he, but he was going and I pulled up the rifle. I took the safety off and something in my mind, just as soon as I threw that scope up, I just knew like in my head, like he's going to cross through these crosshairs. And it wasn't soon after that. Like I, I just saw him come into the crosshairs and I pulled the trigger as soon as he came into it. And then I, I heard nothing and I saw nothing. The cows were far enough away from me where I don't even know where they went. So at that moment, after trying to like collect myself, cause my heart is just racing and I didn't hear a single sound after I shot. So then I'm trying to think to myself, did I just, am I like feeling okay? Did I just hallucinate? Did that not happen at all? And like by me shooting, did I wake up kind of thing? 
because like everything went silent. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. And I didn't really know if my shot was good, if it wasn't good. So I felt good. So if there was actually an elk there, I felt real good. (laughs) It was a very surreal experience and it really happened just like that. Um, So I'm kind of nudging myself up over the ridge a little bit, trying to move slow. Cause again, I'm not really sure what happened. And at that point I can hear some antlers hitting the trees and I knew this elk was just down. Um, so I sat there for a couple minutes trying to collect myself like, Holy crap. You just saw, you just shot a huge bull elk. Um, so he ended up expiring pretty quick within a couple of seconds. And at that point I have, I have camp up behind me a couple hundred yards and so I went up and I figured I'm just going to let him there. Um, I waited a couple minutes, make sure he wasn't going to get up. I didn't even go over to him yet. I go up, I pack up um, my pack um, with basically, because I, I, my plan was just to go down and check this, check this small drainage. So I left a lot of stuff up by camp because if that small drainage didn't work out, then I was just going to go up, pack up and continue my hunt. So I, go up, I grab my pack and everything else. And I come down and I walk up to him and I'm just, I'm just floored. I mean, I, I shot the bull dead, dead in the neck as he was trying to, you know, basically tail off, um, to try and go around me. And, uh, it was just it, it, like, he, he went, he dropped right in his tracks. And when I, when I walked up, that's when it like really hit me. Like, what do I do? Um, I've, I've packed, you know, dozens of big game animals out by this time, you know, cause I do a lot of like deep woods, whitetail hunting and stuff. And I've done the mule deer and everything else, but this was actually my first time ever sitting next to a, sitting next to a bull elk, um, that someone has harvested. And I, I just, I, there was almost no time for me to, to, to celebrate or to, really reflect on anything it was like i got a ton of work to do this bull actually died on the southern slope so they were basically what the elk were trying to do was they were cutting around this ridge going down through the bottom of this drainage into a deep hole that was basically the end of the burn and that burn where the end of the burn was basically it was all pines so they were going down to get on the back side of this of this ridge and they were probably going to sit down there for most of the day Um, and with this bull being on the South slope, me being by myself, it being seven o'clock in the morning at this point, um, and I got a 600 pound bull laying here. I knew immediately I had to, I had to break him down and I had to get the meat out of the sun because the sun was about to basically beat on him for the next 10 hours. Mm -hmm. So what pack were you using? Uh, I have a, I have a. Kuyu Icon Pro. I have a 5200 bag okay. that I take on these trips. Um, so my plan was to, and these animals are huge, and I'm fortunate enough that he he died in in basically a little bit of a grassy area. It wasn't complete burn. Like with it being charred, it just gets so dirty. Um, so I was fortunate enough that that he expired on on like a grassy patch. I was able to lay out uh, a tarp as like a 
as a uh, ground cloth. And basically I couldn't move him. I, you know, I can barely move his head around to try and get some good pictures, but I couldn't flip him over or do anything like that. So he was laying on his side. So my only option was to break down one side, one half and get it laid out. And then basically what I had to do was after I broke down that half, I had to hustle it down about 800 feet in elevation to a, to a creek bottom to basically find the coolest place that I can within reach um, to get the meat cool as, as fast as I could. Because there was no way I can keep it there. I couldn't keep it up by my camp. Um, so the only option was to go low and get it down by the stream. So I had three. I had, uh, no, I had two two hikes back and forth. Um, now I was deboning it. I wasn't quartering it. I was taking it right off the bone, laying it out and letting it cool. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to deal with more than one quarter at a time if I left it on the, if I left it on the bone. So, uh, so I took two trips down to the Creek, let it all cool out while I was, then I was able to get the elk flipped over, um, and able to do the other half. And by this time, while I was doing the other half, um, I ran a third quarter down to the Creek. And then as the day progressed up near my camp, the sun was basically already beyond that. So I figured the last quarter I could take up to, up to my camping oh, area. Instead of down to, down to the Creek. Instead of down to the Creek. Cause actually going down to the Creek was further than where I needed to go. Cause I knew I had to go out the opposite way. So I was actually packing this animal in further just to get it cool. Um, and we were probably talking a mile round trip just to go to the Creek and back. So it was at this moment that Tim really wished he had taken somebody with him. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, I, I, I got to hire someone just to hang out at the trailhead. <laughs> he's taking offers, ladies and gentlemen. Shoot him a, a DM. He, he's looking for a trail buddy. <laughs> I, need, I need a personal packer. <laughs> oh, man. So the last quarter I take up to my camp up near where I was camping, just so I didn't, I wasn't giving myself more miles to put on. Um, basically got the hide and, and the, and the antlers and, and everything, the Cape and everything all bundled up, had that ready to go drop back down to the Creek as it was getting dark and ran two more, two more, uh, trips for the quarters down there. So now I have three quarters at up near my camp. Now not, I, I'm not sleeping next to it, but it's up there. And at this point, I kind of realized what kind of deep crap I was in at this point, knowing that um, it, you know, the weather out there was still going to get in the 40s at night, but it was still reaching 70s during the day. Um, so that was my biggest variable. And that's what I was most like my biggest concern was at this point was the meat. So the last thing I want to do is take an take an animal like this and not be able to. Um, use it so i got three quarters up by where i was camping and i have one quarter down at the creek about a mile and a half away now so my only option is i realized that that night i got to get out of here 
Um, I physically could not go back down in that Creek and get the last quarter. So I was like, it's got to wait. It's down by the Creek. It's cold. It's fine. Um, so at this point I pull up on my GPS, you know, how far I am from my truck. So I am 4.34 miles to my truck as the crow flies, which you've hunted Colorado. Yeah. That's tough. Have you ever looked at a map and you're like, oh, we can easily get from here to there. And then you start thinking <laughs> and you see that your little blue dot move like a fraction of an inch. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> so I knew words we're going to avoid. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew at this point I'm over five miles. I'm over five miles to my truck. Um, you know, it's, it's Sunday evening at this point, And my only option is to, is to get out of here and get back to town and try and figure out try and get in some <laughs> recruitments here <laughs> so so i hike out and now it's a two-hour drive from the trailhead to get cell service so i got cell service at almost 11 o'clock that night and i just punch in my phone outfitters horse packers like anything i could figure out because i knew Physically, I could probably get this elk out over the next two days, maybe three days. Um, but at that point, that meat was not going to make it. So I really had no option. Um, so I got a hold of uh, an, an outfitter out that way. That's that and they were basically my only lifeline because everybody else was like, no, I don't. I can't do that. I don't do that. Whatever. So the only, the only thing I had to go off of was, uh, we'll give you a call back in the morning. So I didn't sleep at all that night. Cause I was, I was nervous. I was almost debating. Do I just go back up there right now and start hiking? Or what do I do? So I decided to, to, I knew like the meat wasn't going to get any warmer that day. So, you know, that night. So, I decided just give myself a night. I was going to wake up in the morning and if they don't call me by 7am, I'm calling them. So I didn't get a phone call. I called them. The The gentleman was like, can you send me coordinates? We could see where you're at. Blah, 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 blah. I was like, yep, here you go. He calls me back. He says, yeah, we could probably help you out. Um, we'll just, we'll just give, we'll just, uh, take you know go in with a horse and a couple mules and we'll we'll pack it out so i had i had all my gear packed out so the only thing that was left in the woods was just the meat and the rack and the and the cape so i head out to the outfitter um we kind of got delayed they had an issue with a trailer we eventually get to the trailhead at like three o'clock in the afternoon um i knew the meat would be okay if i can get it on ice by that night Um, so that was pretty much my only priority. So where I was, my trailhead, where I was parked, there was no way to get horses in there, which was one reason why I was hunting there, um, to avoid the horse traffic and to avoid the hunters. Um, so that five miles was now written off and, you know, you heard me talk about that other trailhead that was like eight miles away. Yep. Um, that's the trailhead that they, that they realized that they were going to have to get in on. So, um, now 
I can't ride the horse. Um, so basically I'm hiking it. Um, they gave, they brought in two packers. So two horses and two mules, the mules are going to do the packing. The, uh, gentlemen were going to run the horses. So as soon as we get there, I take off cause I had to hike it. So I pull it up in my phone and I'm just like, okay, how far is this? Now it's 7.4 miles as the crow flies. So I know that's well over eight miles and I have 2,500 feet in elevation to go up. And I already have probably 15 miles on my feet at this point in the last day and a half. So I take off, I go down about 300 feet to this big, this big river crossing. Basically it's a river that's probably about 20 yards wide. And I take one step in that river and I took the second step and it was kind of like mid step. I'm like, I probably shouldn't step on that rock. And I was already committed and I hit the dirt right in the water, basically (laughs) up to my neck. And so I pull it out. I'm, I, I, I stand up, I like pull my phone out and I pull out my, uh, in my in reach device that I was communicating back home with. And I'd like quick dry them off, make sure that they were working. So now I'm soaked to the bone. It's probably like 50 degrees and now I got to hike like eight miles. So I take off up the hill (laughs) while they were getting everything ready. And, uh, we reached, so we started at three 30 in the afternoon. We reached, um, the elk at about, uh, quarter to seven, I want to say. Um, so it was going to be dark within the next like half hour. Um, so we basically load up the three quarters and I, now I had a mile and a half to get the last, the last quarter out from down by the Creek. And at some point when you start doing these trips, I think you have to be okay with, like, you have to accept this, the solo aspect has really opened my eyes where like, it gets a lot more dangerous, not having anyone near you. Sure. Um, nobody to call on, you can twist an ankle, break a leg, whatever. So that's why I had the, the in reach device with me that has like an SOS, but there was no, there was no like area to land an airplane or something. So you really have to like accept death at some point or be okay with it. Like, <laughs> but at, at, at this point, this was the only, this was the only time I really felt uncomfortable i told you i try and be comfortable being uncomfortable in the woods anymore but the last um the last trip down to that creek was probably the most uncomfortable i've been in a very long time um there are there is the occasional grizzly in this area um because they're in the units that abut it so and grizzlies don't really follow borders so (laughs) so and there's mountain lions and there's wolves so there's a lot going on here and now it's like it's pitch dark. Um, I've been dealing with meat for the last day and a half. So I'm kind of covered in, in, in blood, you know, the pack is covered in it. Um, the, the meat has been sitting there for a day essentially. Um, and now I'm going back down in, into this bottom, um, to go get some meat that has been sitting there for a day and God knows who claimed it yet. So that was probably the point where I felt most uncomfortable um, was dropping back because you, you, you 
these guys that were coming up to pack to pack this elk out for pennies weren't going to drop down there and and help me get this meat out so so there i am doing that mile and a half you know and just like looking over my shoulder the whole time not knowing what's going on um but i fortunately got the fourth quarter back up on top of the ridge we were able to pack that out hook everything up to the horses and uh by that time it was pretty late um we had another three hours it was roughly three hours to get back down to the truck um and we ended up getting out right around 1 30. Um, so I ended up getting back to the outfitter's place at 2 a.m. Um, to get everything exchanged over into my truck, get all the meat put into the coolers, um, get the rack tied down on the truck and everything else. Um, so it was, it was, um, even though, like I said, could I have packed that meat out over the over the next few days i probably would have enjoyed every every minute of it but i don't think the meat would have made it um i did not have any meat loss um which fantastic fantastic yeah exactly um but i can't say like if that if that meat sat in the heat another day um there definitely would have been a lot of loss to it so um i did have the enjoyment of packing packing the rack out and uh doing my own thing without actually having to do the heavy lifting. But that was probably the biggest wake up call with the whole solo thing. Um, being that far back. I mean, if I would have shot that bull, like, you know, first morning, first day when I was only like three miles in, it was probably doable. Um, but the, probably the six miles back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for four, four to five trips probably would have been, um, it, it it would have been unsafe. It would have exposed me to possible injury. Um, and like I said, it, it would have, uh, it would have put the meat in, uh, in some peril. So, so that was, that was about it. I mean, it was a very enjoy, enjoying, uh, ride home 40 yeah. hours, being able to look at the rack sitting on the back <laughs> of the truck. Um, but, uh, it was, the 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 solo the solo part of it was definitely made things a lot more difficult um, from a logistical standpoint, and it changed a lot of things that went into my pack um, as opposed to being with someone, and it 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 changed the way I hunted. Um, I was definitely more patient, knowing that I had like eight days um, to hunt. I was definitely more patient. Um, knowing that I wasn't with someone else that wanted to go somewhere else or wanted to spike camp and just hunt from that spike camp for a couple of days or that sort of thing. So it definitely changed a lot of things that, you know, driven me to the conclusion that I had, um, which was great. But, uh, it was, it was also a wake up call that, uh, when you put a 600 pound animal on the ground, uh, I was nervous. I, I, it wasn't until I was pretty much, I wasn't sold until everything was in my truck. And I, I knew like the next day I could start heading back. That That's when I finally, you know, felt that I could celebrate now. Cause it was an immediate like firefighting. As soon as that elk went down, like, what do I do right now? <laughs> do you feel like you bit off more than you could chew? Would you have done something differently in that situation? Um, 
Not I trying to be ac- so. you know, no. accuse you there, but just, you know, hindsight being 2020. Um, I, I don't want to say I regretted taking the animal, like through that, through going through that whole process. Um, because I, I don't, th- unless, unless something happened and the meat did go bad, then I, then it would have been a regret. Um, but what I wish I would have done was had that plan in place before um, going out there. If I would have called somebody ahead of time, having that in-reach device, I could have sent them a text message and been like, hey, I have an elk down. Here's my coordinates. Can you send somebody in? And that's where I wish I would have, I would have been, I, I would have been a little more proactive, but um being there before, um, knowing how I wanted to hunt, I didn't expect um, to take an elk in the first couple days. Because um, I really, I, but again, it was kind of me being uh, a little stubborn because I was getting in a new country and it's a new year and elk move and you never know when you're going to move in, you, when you're going to be in the elk. So, um I, yeah, I was I was a little stubborn on that side of things. I think what would have been better was just to have that plan in place should that opportunity have risen. <laughs> yeah, that's so you're not you're not changing your position on hunting by yourself. You're just going to prepare differently. I think so. Yeah, um, I'm sure my family would love to hear a different answer on that but um you want me to cut that question out (laughs) i i would i I think i've gotten the most out of this hunt not just because of you know the animal i was fortunate enough to take but just the whole solo aspect in it all um than i have in the in the other hunts would i turn down a good friend that says hey let's let's do this hunt this year absolutely not um, I have a, we've talked about this before, but like hunting partners are hard to find. Especially compatible ones, partners. man. Yeah. yeah. It, and I'm, I'm, I'm like the type of person that is just like, if we're hunting for eight days, we're going nonstop for eight days. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've had people that I've hunted with in the past. I, I you know, some of us don't even talk anymore because that's, and maybe <laughs> it's because of that hunt, you know? Yeah. Did it, and and I understand that, but I haven't really found that magical person to start planning hunts with every single year yet. So <laughs> we need to, we need to um, like start an app for that, where you ask like a questionnaire, you know, like on a scale like, of like one a, to 10, how crazy <laughs> are you? <laughs> like a dating app for hunters. <laughs> I mean, seriously, think about it. I mean, realistically, I'm with you. I mean, even here in Florida, it, you know how hard it is for me to find somebody who who will get out there in the in the summer heat of early bow season. I mean, hell, halfway through the season. I mean, it's it's October. We just we just had our first low in the 50s, right? Yeah. Like, and it was brief. It was it was fleeting. Um, you know, the the biggest response I got, like when I got back, and people, you know, word gets around, and you run into people, and they're like, "Oh, nice elk." And, you know, tell me about it. And their, their first response after telling them the story, like the cliff notes version of it, they're like, you did that all by yourself. Like, what are you nuts? I know. <laughs> and, and, and that was like, I, I don't know. I, I felt capable. Like I said, like I go in with a very positive attitude, Sure. but there is a lot of things that change when you take that, that 
lifeline out of it. You know, that person oh, that sure. if you do break an ankle, there's somebody there that can help you get up the mountain or somebody that can communicate to someone or, or that sort of thing. Like, and that's, you know, we talked about the remoteness and the, the dauntingness that the West has to offer. And it just takes the wrong move or the wrong step. And you could be from chasing a bull to trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of here before I die. And, and that's the realistic part of it, because when you talk about being miles and miles back, it, it's there's nothing. You know, I don't want to scare people from it. You just have to be prepared for it. Sure. Yeah, it, it's um, I mean, to, to, to act like there's no danger in it is also like unfair, right? Like no one's neither of us are saying that there's not a uh a, a, inherent risk that you're taking when you go by yourself you know i think honestly i'm not prepared for that um but i don't have the trips that you have you've got how many what six more trips probably ahead of me going out west yeah i think this is like my fifth or sixth year right right so you know it's one of those things where i've I've got no business ambling around in the back country of colorado by myself (laughs) you know and i'm and i'm not delusional to such yeah and even when i started like i i did have somebody with me all those prior years um before understanding that yeah you know i i feel comfortable enough to do this on my own and again that's why i went to a place that i was familiar with um would i just pick up and go to you know southern utah and park at a trailhead and start hiking in probably not um now after this trip would i do it uh, maybe if I pull a good unit in the future, <laughs> but again, I might hunt differently. I might from the truck and be at the truck every night, not this whole bivy style and getting miles and miles back. So, um, yeah, I mean, your hunt style changes with the solo aspect, um, because of everything else that, that has had its effect on the hunt itself. Um, which, it was a new experience. Um, and the elk hunting part of it was a new experience. I mean, I've hunted elk before, but I've never, this is my first elk sure. that I've harvested. And, uh, when you asked me the question, would I have taken a rag bull? If a rag bull stepped out in that moment, I would have shot the rag bull <laughs> after going through what I had, what I did by myself. Right. Um, I'm glad this bull grossed two fifty because, um, now, you know, I have look at something on my wall now and just reminisce on that entire trip all over again. But, uh, oh, wow, that's yeah, the, the... that's not a fun situation, though. Like, I'm jealous because I'm sitting here right now on Facebook looking at the bull, and <laughs> I, <laughs> I would shoot the bull, <laughs> but you know, I know more than say that, and it's like. God, I think about that situation and the uncertainty of it. I mean, like that that sleepless night must have been hell, man. Yeah, that that was probably the worst. It was the the night not knowing what was the future of the meat was really where, like, and and you know, being in Idaho, you don't know anybody. Like I, you know, I, and you being an out of stater, people don't really care for that sort of thing in certain parts in certain areas some people welcome it but others 
do not, you know, could I have went to the trailhead and that one other truck that was there? Could I have been like, Hey man, I got a bull like down five miles back. Can you help me out? Can you <laughs> come sh- take two trips and pull out a half elk with me? Cause you know, nobody's going to most likely that the general person isn't going to do that. You could probably approach me cause I've been in that situation at this point. I'd be like, yeah, let's go do it. But you, you can't, I couldn't, Knowing that I had a limited amount of time, I couldn't put all my all my chips in that corner, you know. Sure. Yeah, I can see. It. So, if you had had a hunt hunt uh, partner, you feel like you would have had it out no problem. That was kind of the difference. I think with I think with two people, it would have been it would have been two trips, maybe a third for the for the cape. Okay. Um, and I definitely think that that could, I I personally think I could have done physically could have done two trips a day. Um, so if you had that second person, you could have shuffled all that meat the next day, um, and then probably go back for the Cape and the, and the rack the next, the, the following day. Um, but knowing that if I had to do two, if I could do two trips a day, knowing that I probably had five trips sitting there, um, cause again, you're going to probably start out carrying a hundred pounds and by your fifth trip, you're not going to want to put more than 70 pounds on your back. Sure. So I think at that point I was looking at, okay, now that meets at least three days sitting there. And now at that point, you know, you're going to have loss. And that's the number one important that, you know, that's the biggest factor in all of this was, you know, you're out there to take an animal and your, <laughs> your duty or your fiduciary duty <laughs> is to, use that animal to its greatest extent. Right. Um, so I, there was personally, I couldn't, my only choice was to, was to call a horse. That was really, <laughs> that's where I was at. And if, if that didn't work out, I already personally made the decision in my head that if I don't hear back from, from that guy by nine o'clock, I'm going in and I'm getting out as much as I can. And, and that that would have been my backup plan, um, but I'm glad it never came to that. God, man, that's do, do by chance have you had him scored? Uh, I haven't had him officially scored. I scored him. I actually just scored him here today, and um, he was two fifty seven. Green green score. Yeah, he is. He is. I mean, he's beautiful. He is. He is fifteen inch eye guards on him, which are just unbelievable. Um, the mass, he had 10 inch bases and 40 inch main beams and a 37 inch spread. Like it was just, and like none of this set in when I first took that animal. Cause like my, <laughs> my, my whole, my whole demeanor changed. Everything changed as soon as I walked up to that animal right? and realizing that go ahead, but like, now I look back at pictures and I have the rack here and everything else. And I'm just like, this, this is unbelievable. <laughs> like, oh man. That's... If it, if out of all, out of, out of all those trips, like if you would have taken the last five, six years and said, Hey, you're going to take, you're going to take this elk on one of those trips. Which one do you want to take it on? I for sure would have chose this one. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. I just wanted that experience. You know, that, that just <laughs> i don't know the, the the remoteness the ruggedness and and 
you know, I actually, if you want to get into Western hunting, I would definitely advise a hunt like this, that you can have a rifle on your back. And I know you're not, you personally, Walt, are not a rifle hunter. You are like, well, that's changing, man. That's changing. (laughs) Cause I, trust me, I prefer a bow in my hands over that any day, but understanding that you're on the East coast, you're going out West, you're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for licenses in order to dip your toes in the water, give yourself the best advantage that you can. And if it means a, a weapon change or see what I was trying to avoid was going out during a rifle season where you're dealing with a lot of people and terrible weather, because if I'm sleeping in my tent, I don't want to be sleeping in zero degree weather with three feet of snow on the ground. Right. Um, so when I discovered that opportunity in Idaho to be hunting elk in the rut with a rifle, like that's a great way to dip your toes in the water into the backcountry, despite it being steep and rugged and ridiculous. Right. Right. If you could physically get yourself there, um, it's, it's definitely something I would say to people like, go do this hunt because you're going to run into game. You know, I, there's, you, you will see game, you know, there's, you will have opportunities and your opportunities will expand if you put a rifle in your hands as opposed to a bow just to get your just to get your feet in the water but that that would be my advice uh, you know now next year i've already decided like i think i'm done with not idaho in general but i'm done with that hunt like i've i've done it for the last 3 years and now i'm like i've took the great mule deer i took another deer and i took this elk and i'm kind of like it's time Ready to move for on to a different. new challenge. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So I'll send I'll send you all my waypoints after the show. That yeah. <laughs> you took the joke right out of my mouth, man. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going with that. <laughs> See, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is how you know you, you you've got a relationship with somebody who's on the show because he knows exactly <laughs> where you're going with that. Because I make that same corny joke on just about every one of these. Uh, <laughs> hunting episodes but yeah no that's you know you you made the you made the comment and it's a fair comment that i'm i'm primarily a bow hunter i'm gonna let you know something going out west that completely changed my outlook on gun hunting i mean almost without even having a conversation with someone else i think my uncle was talking guns and stuff like that but like you go out there and you talk about hunting a place where it you know what i'm just gonna leave it at this it's just different, and it and it, it kind of makes you think. Okay, I'm literally selling myself short in a lot of ways because there's a lot of those hunts you can't take a bow on, and it's like, why do I want to pigeonhole myself into into a hunt that I can't go on? You know, like why do I want to limit myself only to a certain season? And I don't know that I feel that way anymore. And in fact, I talked myself out of buying a rifle at Dick Sporting Goods yesterday. Uh, Ruger American. I was about to buy one. I'm gonna wait a little longer, but because mm. um, I'm kind of eyeing a Weatherby right now. But yeah, man, there's a dang good chance that uh, old Walt by the end of this deer season has a gun ready and and put together, and 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 I'm gonna probably start killing things with it. And that's awesome, man. Yeah. See, my my whole my whole plan was you know after I really decided like I I want to do this every year like I want this to become kind of like an annual trip and I want to take my week or my two weeks out, get disconnected. And so when I start putting in points for all these States and hopefully within the next year or two, start drawing some tags, 
well, now I have the experience. Now I know what to expect. I've hunted these animals before. I won't mind putting a bow in my hand and doing that at that right. point. And at that, and now you have the skills, you know how to break down an animal. Um, you, you, you know, what kind of physical strain is ahead. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely see myself in the future going out with the bow, but I definitely dip my toes in the water with the rifle. I started with the bow when I went to Colorado for a couple of years, I got frustrated with the amount of opportunities that I had and never could capitalize on them. And personally, I was just sick of spending money on the tags and, and eating it at the end of the day. And yeah. <laughs> I kind of was like, yeah. I am not, eat- I am going to Idaho and I'm not eating my tag. And in those three years, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten my tag. So, <laughs> yeah, I and, mean, I, I didn't go that far. Put myself through that much effort to to be prideful and only hunt with a bow. I mean, that's just what it comes down to for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I still want to. Like, don't get me wrong. If I get a chance to, I get pretty much one trip out west right now until some things change. I'm I'm, I'm lining things up to where I can go out. You know, hopefully twice a year. And, uh, when that happens, like, you know, my uncle really only has time to hunt during bow season. So that's when I'm going to go, you know, I've got all the equipment for that. You know, it's, uh, but when I start going out West and, and I've got that second trip to, you know, go where I want to, or, or, or do something different, dude, it's going to be a gun hunt. I'm not even going to sit here and lie to you guys. And that it's, it's just different. It's just like we spoke like the Eastern whitetail compared to the Western hunt game. It's just bow to the rifle it's just different it's going to change the way you hunt and and you know and actually the 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 shot i actually every every animal i've taken in idaho has been a chip shot with the gun and has been in bow range even that elk within 40 yards when i've taken when i took that elk on the run um could i have shot him with the bow probably not because when he came when he was actually visible to me uh, he immediately caught my wind but, um, you know, the mule deer, I think I shot the mule deer probably about 70 yards. So that was a stretch. Um, but I was hunting in Idaho. Isn't like what you watch on TV where these guys sit there and they glass four or five, 600 yards and then set up the rifle and shoot, shoot clear across the Canyon. This was right. like in your face. And the only difference was, is I had a bullet instead of an arrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to try and coalesce those thoughts a little more concisely. You know, there's a better way of saying that it's just different because what makes it different, you know, and I want to find a way. I've been been back from Colorado for uh, two months now, and I still can't find ways to describe how life-altering that trip was. And uh, I try and and spend a little time every morning, but there's just – yeah – it's it's it for there's a lot of people listening to this episode that have never done it, and until you get out there, I think it's gonna sound really odd what we're saying. And I and I know this because it used to sound odd to me. I, my uncle used to tell me all the time, you know, once you get out here, you'll understand. You'll understand. It's just different. You know, you get out here and it, it hunting with a bow, you're gonna put that to the side pretty quick. Not not like completely, yeah. but the idea of of doing it solely. So, it's any awesome. advice would be just to avoid the social media. Yes echo that is western hunting and you need to be in if you can't bench press 400 pounds and run a marathon (laughs) you're not gonna be able to do it kind of thing because again it's just you hunt for your own opportunities and if you can't if you can't 
climb up to 2,500 feet in elevation, then you take two days to do it and that sort of thing. I, but I just, I, I think a lot of people get turned away because social media kind of basically forms this whole, like they put it up on the pedestal. Like you need to be this kind of person and this kind of shape in order to go hunt elk. And it's like, no, you can get, get your gear and go out there and try it and just put the boots on the ground, do your own thing. And if you're not there, you're not going to have the opportunity. And I think that a lot of people that I've talked to, I kind of, I almost feel like they, they say to me like, Oh, I wish I've done that years ago because I know I have my own ticking time clock inside me where I'm not going to be able to do that. You know, settle down, have family, have kids. Do I want to put myself in the middle of, of Idaho? If I have kids way across the country, all the way back home, probably not, but I'm doing it while I can. And that's the advice I can, I would give somebody is there's ways that you could do it to your own standard. And I just go out there, just experience it. If you've never left the East coast to go hunt, just, just go do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, I agree with you. I think, I think social media has the idea that like you, like you just said, you nailed it, that there's been certain aspects of the industry that have gotten too much influence into, uh, what you, what you need and what you have to do. And I can sit here and tell you right now as a dude clocking in at five foot seven, 205 pounds, um, I cannot even run a 5k. I was hunting somewhere between 9,600 and 11,000 feet in elevation. Well, probably 8,700 and 10,9 to like 11. Um, that's brutal. Like I had, I got, I got altitude sickness at one point. We had to come down. I had to recover from. I went back up there, but it's just putting one foot in front of the other. It, it's, 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 it's all one big mental game. That's why I try and tell people. It is. Yeah, that, that's why when it's I said a mental game. Yeah, 100. percent That's all it is. I mean, you're you're and capable I, of doing it. I, I suffered my se- my second year in Idaho. Um, I took I took a deer on the fifth day, but mentally, I suffered bad. Oh yeah, I I hunted my butt off and I could not find a good buck. And I finally shot a buck on the fifth day, but I and mentally that was just like straining to me. And I I sat back after that trip and I was like, what are you so like disappointed or upset about? Like you worked your butt off, you saw a ton of deer, and I just could not find a buck, and it mentally took me out, almost ruined that hunt. And and thankful, like I knew from that point on, like you you got to stay positive, and like you said, one foot in front of the other. Yep. Just don't think about it. Eat through the pain, and just deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I. I geeked out on the fact that every day I managed to like not stop. There was like maybe day three, I think about halfway through it, I looked at my uncle. I was like, "Dude, I'm I'm literally throttled. Like this is this is it." But we were like we were side hilling in this really steep area, and I could feel my legs like letting go. And I was like, "Okay, this this is kind of dangerous, you know." Like, um, mm-hmm. so, but I mean, like, I never gave up. I never, I never like stopped mentally, just putting one foot in front of the other. I had to take a lot of breaks. I didn't get there as quickly as I wanted to. But I did it, and every day I'm laying in that in that in that that hammock, looking at the mountain with the sun going behind it. I'm like, man, it didn't beat me today, you know. I, yep. <laughs> it was cool. 
just, and that's what it, that's the accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, just just getting through the hunt is the accomplishment. It doesn't matter what's in the back of your truck or if you got an opportunity or not. It's just you went out there to do a task, and that was to go have an experience, go on the hunt, experience the West. So, you know, regardless of of success or not, it's it's a success at the end of the day. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I think on that note, I have one final question for you, and that is when are you going to punch the remainder of your tags and come on the podcast and talk about that? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier. I, you know, We're into the heart of archery season here, and uh, it's going to heat up within the next two weeks. You know, right as, Our rut really happens around here right at the first week of November. You know, we get some serious chasing, but I am after a buck that is five and a half now, and he has been around for three years. We have half a dozen encounters and so, and he slipped me on Thursday, and today's what, Sunday? So I'm going to be back in the woods probably tomorrow before heading to work. So um, I'm hoping, I'm going to hold off. Like you said before, most times (laughs) I have my buck early in October, but. I'm really going to dedicate my season to to him or the couple shooters that are in that area yeah. and really hold out for a nice one. And if it doesn't happen, I'm okay. After after this elk hunt, if I eat a tag this year, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a prediction, and that is by October 31st, you've killed a deer in PA. <laughs> That's just I, I'm I'm sorry, dude. I know you're trying to hold out, but it's not even that. I don't even think you're going to settle. I just have so much faith in you and your abilities to kill the deer that you're going after. October 31st, you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, planning your next your next Western trip, dude. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll be you will be getting a picture immediately if that happens. Oh man! Well, Tim, that's the that's pressure, man. I just told you I didn't want any pressure. There's this no year. pressure. I just I, sit and relax. Listen, this is the easiest lock lock of the year. I'm gonna look like a genius after this because <laughs> you, you're the dude that has consistently done this, and I'm just like jumping on the bandwagon now. I'm like a, I'm like all the new Alabama and Cle- Clemson fans out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate the support, yeah. man. Yeah, the kind words. It's, uh, I, I I mean, the plan would be to punch a buck tag here and then sure. if i have uh if i still have no november ahead of me without uh, a tag in my pocket here I'll, I'll plan to spend some in new york and hopefully uh west virginia or ohio something within a pretty short drive but there you go that's the plan that's awesome dude well before i let you go where can people find you and stay tuned with what you're doing yeah absolutely you could send your hate mail through my instagram <laughs> Or applications for a pack buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I really only do Instagram uh, faithfully. faithfully. Um, so Instagram is at Eastern Backcountry, all one word, or you could just search my name, Tim Seasock, S-I-S-O-C-K. Uh, I try and update it every now and again, but hunting season, you get a little lost. But I do share my content over I, – I try not to – to flood it i usually share my content on my hunt over the next couple of weeks of or months so every so often you'll get an elk, an elk photo from the hunt but even so i mean reach out if you're interested in going west um i'd be happy to share 
everything from gear to tactics to maybe even a waypoint here or there. <laughs> oh, man, you're going to get blown up now. <laughs> All right, dude. Hang on one second. Hey. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to close this out. Got it. Guys, I have been looking forward to this episode for a while because this has been, I told you, January of 18 was the first time that, that Tim and I got on the the podcast and talked and I knew this was coming. I knew this episode was going to be awesome and it, it was awesome. So here's the deal. This is my one ask of you. Tell somebody about the podcast, invite somebody to like our Facebook page, share our Instagram, send somebody a link and help us grow by word of mouth. We're not putting any money into advertisement. We're putting it all into this podcast and we really rely on you guys to help spread the word. And you're doing so. I see the downloads growing and I appreciate everything you're doing. So until next time, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.